How do we join with others to achieve and experience more and get in flow as a unified team? This is the question we ask each episode in the Unified Team podcast. Here's your host, Rob McPhillips. Your work is getting people from stuck to unstuck. If you could just give us a bit of what's that about and and where did that come from? Sure. I'll start with the second question maybe first. Uh, I think it's something that is a result of the stuff that I focus on. So my background is really much more in operations, operations and IT operations. And uh, throughout my career, I've been fortunate enough and maybe cursed to always find myself in either the senior management or executive positions in the companies that I were in. So that's what I enjoy. I enjoyed small companies. I enjoyed small businesses. I haven't yet got the master tax balances to say, what do we want to do? Okay, let's just go do it. And we have to be really picky about what you do, manage your resource as well. And then finding solutions, both operational and in terms of technology. That put me in a position where I had quite a number of people reporting into me and working with me that were very capable, high potential, but they didn't necessarily have the opportunity to go and equip themselves with great degrees or diplomas and such. They had to work their way up. I found that even though I enjoyed the strategic operations and technology side of businesses quite a bit. I enjoyed a lot more working with the guys who were there. They were trying to, one, make a mark for themselves, two, make sure that they can support their own goals and dreams, support their families, and build a career. And uh, over the last couple of years, that's something that I haven't focused on too much, but I realized towards the end, towards the middle of last year, that is something that was missing on my side. I missed engaging with people who felt themselves I want to go somewhere. This is where I am now. I'm not sure how to get there. We're not necessarily talking about life skills and life coaching. This is really a little bit more technical, a little bit more specific. So I started working on a concept for Stuck I'm talking about June of 2023. And where we are right now is about a week away of getting it out properly. Over the last six months, it's really been working with a couple of people, asking questions, validating some ideas, testing some structure. There's actually a need for this. If there are people who would find value in it, then if one can potentially build a structure around it. In short, what it is, it's a focus on helping people master key workplace competencies. So you've got your you've got your technical proficiency, your accountant or an engineer, software developer, or whatever your job might be. But in order to be successful with that skill in the work environment, there's quite a number of other things that you need to be able to do. There's managing yourself and your energy and how you approach your the expectations you set for yourself and the purpose towards you walk toward, uh, towards what you work for, the goals that you want to set for yourself. Then there's obviously how you engage with your, with your job itself. Do you understand what its purpose is? How it fits into the broader team and organizational structure? Do you understand your business? understand how you guys make money and, and how you service your customers, that kind of stuff. And then it's um, very much in line with uh, how, do you, how do you engage with your teammates, how do you engage with your leaders, and how do you primarily take ownership of your own professional career instead of hoping that the environment you are in will provide you with the tools and the techniques necessary. This is about, I feel a little frustrated, I feel a little bit stuck, I'm not moving forward as fast as I want to, and I need to understand why. Once we understand what potentially holding you back, then depending on what needs to be applied, we then work on personally learning any skills that might be lacking within the context of that person and the environment in which they are in. And then secondly, 
within the context of what they are aiming for, what their own personal ambitions are, and what they want to achieve. And that in a nutshell is what stuck on stuck is. It's really taking your existing paradigm, your existing reality, understanding what's keeping you where you are, what's frustrating you there, passionately, where do you want to be, and how do we map that trajectory out for you? So it's really going from potential to actualization. So Correct. someone has the technical competencies of whatever their job is, but they don't necessarily, if you go to be an accountant or you go to be a yeah. lawyer, they teach you how to do law or how to do accountancy, but they rarely Correct. teach you the human skills. They really teach you how to fit in, how to work with others. And that's what you do is filling in those gaps. Correct. Helping the person, equipping with that. So they, and it's, it's really for their own empowerment. A couple of cliches that I'm throwing in here, but I think that's the key thing. It's realizing one, I can do something about it. And two, okay, I'm going to help you do something about it. And then we take it from there. What's your purpose in doing what you're doing? My purpose is very internal. It's what I'm describing with a number of people that work with me and for me. It's also very much something that I experienced myself. I used to be the guy that spent lots of hours at the office and it took every initiative I could find. And I remember when I was just starting out back in 1998 at a company called Junk Mail, I was first appointed as the head of training. And I thought that the training manual that they were using was completely inappropriate. So I spent about two weeks of my own time completely rewriting a five-page training manual into a 60-page training manual. It, it changed the retention and the capability of new people continuously quite well. But it's one of those things that I just thought this needs to happen. But despite all of that, I felt that okay, I'm, not, I'm still not moving forward here. And that was a refrain throughout my career. It was always the guy who saw maybe an opportunity, maybe let's get this done. But I struggled to get that across and I struggled to, to really get blind sometimes or to just connect with the guys that I'm working with. So very much a personal thing as well. And I remember the frustration that I felt. And I remember often just going back from home and my wife's here and it's eight or nine o'clock at night and I'm thinking to myself, why the hell am I doing this? What is the, what, what am I trying to achieve here? And it's through, it took me the better part of 20 years to really figure out that your technical abilities and the amount of effort that you put in has very little to do. And if I can help a couple of people who are sitting with that same frustration to not have to go through the same anguish, if you will, it sounds trite sometimes, but that really for me is the key thing. It's something I feel passionate about. Then the other thing that to me is very key is people who are joining the workforce for the first time. What I haven't mentioned yet is if everything I put into plan and I would, what I would like to do within the next six months is put a specific structure together around this concept that really just aims at helping young people understand how to engage and be efficient when they get to the work environment. When you get out of school, in South Africa, when you're 18, you get out of school, then most people go and they, they go get a job. And they go get a job as an intern somewhere or a clerk or something. And it's, it's low paid. And nobody really respects you a lot. There's not a lot you can do. Even if you get out of university with a degree, you're still starting at the lowest rung. And you still don't know what to do. You've got all this technical knowledge, but you still don't know what to do. And if we can help the workforce improve their ability to get these guys properly effective, maybe five to eight years now to get that level of experience, you can bring that down with some effective work to maybe one or two years to really get them an effective part of a team that they're not looked down as a junior in, but they are considered a proper part of the team. I think then everybody benefits. I can totally understand that. I've always hated politics and I've seen people say that you have to play the game and that. And wherever I've worked, I've always noticed problems and I've always come mm. up with solutions. And But just solving the problem isn't enough. I often felt that I didn't get the appreciation. I didn't get the recognition 
for doing that because it solved the problem, but it was awkward. It was things that people didn't want to deal with and there were people who ruffled feathers and yep. so it just yep. let that get done and now okay it's done thank you yes so knowing the skills of how you communicate that better and how you can because just doing the job isn't enough there are so many politics and whatever involved in corporates correct that's the key thing because you're working with other people and human beings are complex and complicated and they've each got their own they've got their own reality from their own experience and they've got their own worries and struggles we read a lot of, about empathy and how important empathy is and skills, and that's true. But if you really ask somebody, okay, what does that mean? Is that a principle? Is that an emotion? Is that just a behavior? Is that a mindset? And you'll get four different odds. And I think part of that problem is some of the things that we describe sometimes and writers have described have become almost too theoretical. And we sometimes forget that the other side of the table, the other side of the email, the other side of the telephone, there is another person sitting there and as you, they've got things they want to do and they've got things they want to achieve and they've got their own frustrations and worries and concerns. And once you understand that as a mindset, as a foundation, then many of these other skills, quote unquote, become almost automated next action. I get an email, some guy I worked with, that was a great example. He continuously struggles, he heads up a service desk and typical to most service desk managers, very specific. Very rule-driven, very pedantic, and this guy's personality is set to a T. And he's got this one guy who is genuine, he, he doesn't mean anything by it, but he just doesn't think that way. So he just phones him, listen, I've got a problem. And he says, have you logged a ticket? You know, it's that typical thing. And he tells me, why do people not understand the rules? Why? And my question to him is, how many people do this? Everybody or just a handful? He says, you know, most people follow the rules and we can work together. And I say, so for this one guy, how important is it for you to make sure that you and him have a great working relationship. That's no, important. Okay? Have you sat down with him and tried to figure out, is there another way that you can do this? But firstly, stop believing so hard that what you have put in place is the ultimate and the best. You don't know that there might be different ways that you two can work together. It wasn't the message Bob received initially, but at the end of the day, they did have a conversation and things are moving forward. Now, two things resolved there. One, there's a better working relationship, but secondly, this guy that I'm working with, his mental frustration is down. You know, suddenly you can think about other things. It's not so frustrated anymore. Yeah. People are at the same side, very complicated, but also very simple. And yeah. Sometimes we just need to understand that. Yeah, and it's the nature of social media is, like every social media platform has its own. Facebook Correct. is very polarizing. Instagram is very visual, visual representation. But the nature of we all write on LinkedIn and there's, you've only got this much space. And so you don't really have the time or, or the ability to go into nuance. And so right. it does mean everyone saying the same thing, but it's, yeah, the, the nuance is what makes all the difference in when you're applying. And it is so easy to forget about the humanity of the people on the other side. So now looking at the philosophy of what you've done, so I understand the purpose that you felt called is something that you felt called to do. But now I'm looking at, so like you say, there's many other people that do the same thing, but you'll do it in your own slant because of your experiences and who you are. So I'm interested in, by philosophy, so for example, I talk about relationships, getting teams to work together by relationships. Yeah, yeah. My purpose is nothing to do with relationships. I 
had little interest in relationships. It was about people being free of relationships mm. because until people know how to master relationships, they get trapped in bad relationships. They feel insecure, anxious. But when I think of what's the philosophy of mine is that we've been given the frame that doesn't work. And that, because that's what I saw, I saw patterns of people running on a, something that made no sense. So in terms of your work, so you saw a need and now you, the philosophy is by philosophy and a kind of how you solve the problem. I you saying, I work from the premise, or I'm applying the assumption, put it that way, that in most companies, and I'm saying this from anecdotal observation, reading the stuff that's been put on LinkedIn, reading comments that are put on the post, reading posts and comments that are put on platforms like Quora, but also obviously my own personal experience, that for the most part, people are not at work necessarily because they want to be there. There are a handful of individuals who are that blessed. They are at work because they want to be there. They don't want to be anywhere else. That's what they want to be because they, they believe in what they do. But for the most part, they, if I can think for myself when I was back in a corporate environment, I would rather have gotten on my GS and gone out in the felt for a 100 or 200 kilometer ride than having to sit through another three project meetings. Just, I don't want to do it. And, but there's a responsibility that you need to meet. You work because it allows you to do things. It can be very fundamental. It allows you to maintain a certain manner of living. It allows you to put your kids in school and to, to support them for what they want to do. Or allows you to just do things, hobbies. Yeah, we, we're fortunate in Cape Town where I live here on the West Coast. There's lots of good wind in, in the bay and lots of kite surfing and surfing, open water swimming, and it's a very sporty kind of environment. But these things all cost money and somewhere for me to be able to do it. But I can think of nothing worse than having to do something every day just so that you are able to do something else and you feel absolutely nothing for it because you suffer, your mental capabilities suffer, the quality of the work you do suffer, and it becomes a vicious circle because you do bad work and now you feel bad about the bad work you're doing, there's no pride left. As a human, you're doing everything that's negative. You're not feeling any level of satisfaction there. So for me, I think if I assume that at least 50% of people in a professional environment feel slightly frustrated, feel slightly, how else can I make, can I get meaning from this? How can I get value? How else can I move forward in my career? then the way I want to do it is really for a start is putting together a bunch of validated assumptions. What I mean by that is working directly with individuals who relate to me and who relate to my approach and who think that what I can help them with can add value to them. There are many people engaging on various different platforms. There are many coaches. There are many guys who put themselves up as mentors. I don't think of myself necessarily as a coach. I think of myself more as the manager that's not supporting you or instead of the manager that's not supporting you, because I think that's where the other, other challenge lies. Leaders, I mean, something like Lisa Martin and the business that they put together in the US, it's all about coach-like leadership. They try and teach people how to become, in a leadership position, also a brilliant coach. But the number of leaders, supervisors, managers, etc., actually attain that level of competence out of stick are few and far between. Um, and as a concept, I think the need for experts like you and me and the rest of the guys out there, uh, I think our, our ability to provide that service is far out to by the demand of that service. I don't think what we're trying to do from outside of this stage is try and conquer the market. But there are enough people that will relate to the way that I do things and the team that we're going to put together do things that we can provide them with the right benefit. 
and then in time potentially link up and network with other entities like yourself and, and others who do similar work and then identify the very specific niches that we focus on and then work together to provide that layer of support to the leadership structures out there. So we know that you're struggling, but we can provide you with that additional resource and firepower that you need. Let's work together on it. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. Is one of the things I, I talk in talking about relationships, and when I was in a looking at a field of personal relationships, you look out and everyone's talking about relationships, and there's so many books. But actually, I realized there's very few books actually on relationships, because if you look at, if you ask people what are your favorite relationship books, they talk about the five love languages. That's yes. a book on communication. <laughs> Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's communication. When you look at, was it Harville Hendricks and his kind of work is all like developmental psychology. It's Dan Weil and whatever they're to really, really talking about conflict. Stan Tatkin is really attachment theory. So... They're not actually relationship books. The only yeah. one of the very few, I think, is I think the Gottman. I would say are definitely relationships, but most of the others have got some other slant. And it's the same. There's a million people working with teams, but whether it's raising performance or it's communication, but again, everyone's got a different piece of the thing. This is why I like to understand the person behind the program because in that you get to understand yes yeah, so, so if i'm learning about something i want to learn about and and they tell about this book influenced me this book influenced i'll then yeah. go back into those books and you look at the lineage and then you can see a clear understanding okay so i've got a, a grasp of what you do so it's interesting that you say that you're not a coach because i was around at the beginning of coaching where Thomas Leonard, who they call the father of coaching, I learned from him and I watched him and he's brilliant. He's a genius, but his genius isn't mine. I know that's not my style. And I, yeah, so I think a lot of people have followed, like I've done coaching and learned from coaching, but I'm not a coach. And I think a lot, I think if you go into speaking or if you go into coaching, people will try and pigeonhole you and they'll get you to promote coaching. They'll get you to promote speaking when really we need to find what's our individual flavor so i like that yeah. you've recognized that what i gained from what you said is that not everyone has a good manager because ideally you're looking for a manager to mentor you so that you can grow up and rise up with and so you're providing that kind of service so someone that may not have a the manager that's encouraging or got time or space to be able to coach them not coach or mentor them or whatever that's really what you provide I think that's where we slot in, absolutely. And again, I said this from my own experience, where I found when I got frustrated, I went to the guy I reported to, or sometimes right to the CEO of the company and said, why is this not working? What am I doing wrong here? And I found over an 18-year period where I did that, one person out of probably about 20 that I went to with that question, one person sat me down and said, all right, let's try and figure this out. Rest of them all said, no, don't worry, you're going to get this, or very encouraging and, and stuff like that. But not because they didn't care, because they had so much that they also had to focus on and other things that they try to do. And I think they were always, and when I was in that position, I fell into that trap myself where in my mind, I pointed you because I needed you to help me do something. And I'm considering us a team. It took me a long while to realize that part of that teamwork, if you will, is also to ensure that the way that we work together and the way that we support each other and the way that, that we fill in the gaps that the other person has. That sort of almost intuitive fitting like a puzzle kind of situation. But that isn't something that just happens or not. Not magic. You've got to work at it. And you've got to make sure that you understand how to do it. So that's where that reference comes in. I hear what everybody says to leaders, you need to be able to do this. 
and having experienced it myself, I come back and say, most leaders, one, have never had the training to do it. And even if they had the training for that context, for that person, what that person is trying to understand, I think there's a conflict of interest in many situations because I'm training you so that I can get what I want. And now I don't think anybody goes out there really well. I'm saying that and knowing full well that there are people who do that. But I think for the most part, there's good intention behind it. You know, you're not trying to exploit the person. But how am I able to really help this person grow and become the person that they need to be professionally if I'm focused on the agenda I'm trying to achieve? And as I should, I would rather have that leader in a position where he has a, this sounds really technical, but fully capable and fully able person in the team to work with. I'm not suggesting that leaders shouldn't do that mentoring and coaching. I sometimes just think that there's, that we expect too much of them, given everything that they also need to do. And if they can find appropriate resources and firepower that can help them solve that problem. Because if you want to, if you've got a team and you've got technology challenges, you go to your IT guy. And if you've got procurement challenges or product challenges, you go to your raw materials challenges, you go to your procurement guys. And they say, let's solve this. Where do you go? HR guys, that, that's not their job. I know there's many thoughts about what HR should be doing, but for the most part, they understand how to manage human resources within corporate environments. Are they fully equipped to help that person be the best they can be in that professional capacity? Maybe. But for whether or not, we're here to pick up that ball. It's also part of the mentoring, coaching type of relationship to grow someone is being challenging and if you've got technical work to do and you're delegating and holding someone accountable mm. and then suddenly you're challenging them personally it changes the relationship so it's like for me i can go in and talk to someone about their relationships within a team and it's okay because it's impartial it doesn't matter to me i don't care mm -hmm. either way someone here who you're talking about a relationship with their friend or with them then suddenly they've got an investment, personal investment. To be a manager, someone has to be technically competent. Then they get promoted and then they need to suddenly learn the management competencies. And then they need to learn the coaching, mentoring. Given how pressed and short people are of time, um, yeah. I think it is asking too much of someone. Obviously, there's a lot of Johan in this program. As a kind of summary, before you even got to work, there's got to have been some environments or events or something that have made you look at life in this way so i'm curious how aware you are you of certain things that drove you and influenced you in your perspective it's an interesting question i haven't really given it much thought and i think it's worthwhile to maybe for myself to go and dive into it and see where it is i think one of the things for me is that thought was always very much important part of my life i was fortunate enough to be to do fairly well in the various sports that i took part in and it was very cricket, rugby, squash, played field hockey for a long time, and a number of swimming, a number of other things. And it always, one of the things that my dad taught me always is, look, if you want to become better at this, I remember clearly when I was in, I was 12 old, and we called it standard sports. Now that's a great, I think, in South Africa. In a cricket game, I was not selected for the first team. Now, I shouldn't have been because it's only the year. After that, which is the final year of primary school, they, they are typically the guys that get in the first team. But I was frustrated because I knew I was better than them. And he said to me, stop learning about it and go and practice. Oh, how much are you practicing? So I took my cricket kit and I walked to school every day after, and I went and I did my own practice. And then eventually I became a lot better at it and I selected people for the first team and so forth. That was a key lesson in order to say, if you really want to be better at something, then stop waiting for somebody to do it for you. You're going to have to go and figure it out yourself. And if you've got something and you can teach you something, and that's what I learned when I was in, when I was in high school playing squash. 
Constitution of Wales, I'm 16, till I reached, I think it was number seven in South Africa. But the reason was not because of any innate skill, it was because I practiced my butt off. I spent three, four hours a day doing cardio work, doing technical draws on the court, etc. And I was fortunate enough to have three people who were really good at the game who looked at what I did and gave me pointers and said, no, stop doing this and go do that. This is holding this wrong, etc. And I realized there just how much quicker the learning went. Gary Player used, I think Gary Player said, it's not about how much you practice, it's about how much perfect practice you do. And that's what makes you better. That was one of the key things for me, is having from, from school age being in school say that you want to get better, you can sit and moan and groan about it, or you can wait for somebody to do something for you, or you can try and go do it yourself. And that's really, for me, that those are the people that I find I relate to most in this work, are the guys that say, I really want to do better, I just don't know how. Now, I'm not trying to convince anybody to be better, but if you are frustrated, then maybe I can help you. Let's work together and get it done. I can see a clear influence from that to what you're doing. And also what you bring out there is, I realized, and trying to figure out who do I do great work with who mm. not so much and who doesn't work. And I came up with something that I called, I think there are some people who are power seekers and someone phrased it better for me. And she said, they're people who want to be right. And then there's people who just settle just like, okay, that's how it is. And they're like peace. Yeah. And what I realized the people that I really did my best work with was truth seekers. And this person said, there are people who want to get it right. And I think that's what, you're talking about yeah. there's some people that are like this is it it should be like this everyone's got to change like donald trump is the, is the boy <laughs> but then there's other people who are like okay this is how it is but how do i do yeah. it better if you had all your experience and what you've seen in the corporate world and what you've seen from coaching people <laughs> as what do you think's wrong in the world of work today and if you were president of work organizations or something that they had to uh, change what would be your mandate it's a great question i have thought about something similar in the past and i concluded that making a dramatic change would probably be more problematic than anything else but people are creatures of habit they're creatures that they're used to doing things certain ways the one thing that i would try and install as a fundamental cultural principle is start having conversations again I have seen, both as a consultant working with different companies as well as in companies the last, the last 12 years, I would expect, when tools like Slack and Gchat and all these things came out, is, and then email specifically. People have, many people have lost the ability to have an effect non-confrontational discussion with somebody else. They hide away behind the keyboard. And I think that one wastes a lot of time, two creates a lot of frustration because there's no context, there's no emotion, you can't see somebody's face or hear their voice, and therefore you cannot relate to what they're trying to really express to you. I suppose in the work that you're doing on relationships, this is something that you probably find quite often, is that that ability to really convey the, the message. Somebody that I reported to a couple of years ago said, you've got to see the white for the black. Don't just see the text on the page, see what's written between it. Yeah, see, see the white on the page. So that's the one thing. I think of one thing I would probably change is stop sending millions of Slack, stop sending millions of Teams messages, stop trying to have conversations over email. Pick up the phone and phone. Or walk to somebody if you are in the office and just go and spend two minutes there. Yes, I know it's frustrating. Yes, I know it's sometimes interrupted, 
But if you get that Slack message or that thing and it pings, it's disruptive in any case. And you can solve it much faster. That human connection, that ability to connect to somebody else on a human level, I think that might be something that's either being lost or we are losing it. I agree with that is a fundamental one of my four parts of what I do is teach people to disagree without drama because relationships break down at the point of conflict and people think if you talk to people about their relationships he'll be oh my ex was an arsehole but actually that behavior came long like the relationship broke long before Mm. and it broke when you had a conflict because people get together and it's honeymoon and everyone's everything's perfect and we love each other we'll always do this but then they have children or something serious where they have a a big conflict that they can't resolve that's when they stop communicating and when they stop communicating then they feel less connection and that's when the they don't like each other as much and that's when the behavior happens so yeah that's a fundamental and i think i could empathize with someone who's your target market because when i worked where i've worked like i say i felt like i did a good job but when there was a problem if someone i would classify people as good or bad and someone did something i go that's it i also when I was a kid in primary school, I was one of the best footballers. And then I went to high school and I didn't get in a football team because I was smaller. While I was skillful, I was lazy. And I, because, I think because I played football younger, I had better control. I was uh, good at going past people. But I didn't like tackling. I didn't want to run around. It was like, give me the ball and I'll do something with it. And <laughs> as you got older, it was the workers who were running around yes. everywhere who made all the difference yeah. and they were the ones that got in the team and I got in and I was like, okay, do I really want to be a professional? I give that up. And then when things didn't go right and people didn't understand, I, I probably didn't explain myself very well, but I would go, oh, okay, that's it. That's it. I'll go somewhere else. And I would just leave and I would walk away from relationships yeah. rather yeah. than have that conversation but obviously learning about relationships learning about communication learning more about people I now understand that what i really needed was really what you do and i think my work shows me that the real problem in relationships is conflict and the problem with conflict is we have a frame that conflict is scary and we start from a basis of not knowing how to resolve that conflict. And so it activates fear of fight or flight. So we either become aggressive or in which case we turn people off or we run away from it. And yes, so I can totally see that. So I'd be on board with your change. I vote for you as president (laughs) of organizations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, well, you know, it's one of the, as as I said, you know, it's hard to change, especially I think, I mean, there's so much written about younger people these days, when I say younger, I feel like I'm ancient, but guys who who have grown up with cellular technology and WhatsApp and all the rest of the stuff, for them, it's, that's just how they communicate. And it's almost, I don't for a moment suggest it's the right way, just because that's your generational preference. But I think it's therefore harder. When I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, we didn't have that. You had to have a conversation. And I couldn't, I'll be honest with you, if, if it was a situation, even though my dad would have sent me a text, I wouldn't, he would have written a paragraph with details and bulleted and numbered and so forth. But it was much easier for him just to look me in the eye and say, listen, you know, I don't like that, or this is what you should be doing. And you can say so much less by conveying so much more and feeling so much closer. So much more, what's that word that's often overused, that authentic, it's genuine. But it's, you can't hide, you started the conversation talking about writing and video and such. Setting it, you can't hide behind it. You've got to, you've got to say what you need to say. And then the study is talking about helping people understand how to not do drama, how to not 
take it personally, how to, and that's difficult. That's really tricky stuff. If you haven't, if somebody hasn't, if you haven't grown up with it and if somebody hasn't shown you, then that's a tough learning curve. And a lot of people have a fear of conflict because they came from a violent home or uh, a row meant people screaming and that door slamming and it's scary as a young child. So yeah, it, it, it is a, a tough skill to learn. But yeah, I'm totally getting that message of connection. I think there is a lot in naturally we want to hide. Naturally, we want to shy away from anything that's difficult. And it's easy when you've got dating apps or you've got messaging apps, you can avoid having the tough conversations. I think um, you've nailed it there, Rob. That's the best way I've heard it described so far. We'll always go for instant gratification. and But everything meaningful takes, like a sport, takes years of practice, yes. hours of practice. And what we're losing or what I think maybe younger people even more are using, but all of us to some extent are losing is that we're losing the attention, but we're also losing that connection and people are craving that connection, but they're trying to get it in instant gratification. It's so really yes. about connection and communication. There's one final point and I'll finish with this. I've got to drop off. And that is that you'll see when I'll share with you next week when we've got the website up and running. That one of the key things that repeated there, the term mastery, learning something, acquiring information is one thing. You've got to be able to apply it confidently. And that, as far as outcome is concerned, that, that is the focus that we are driving for. It's to make sure that once you've acquired the information, the skill, that you become a master at applying it. To your point, that sometimes takes a long while to, to actually get done. Mastery is so important. Are you, are you familiar with George Leonard's work on mastery? He, he wrote the book Mastery. Yeah. There's two books, Mastery, but I'll give you the, the, the gist of it. And so basically, he related it actually to relationships. And he said that there are dabblers. So these are people who would dabble in relationships and they, they love the excitement. As soon as it didn't work, they move off to somewhere else. And they're yeah. constantly seeking that high. Then there was obsessives, and these are the people that they take their relationships really seriously. They read a book and go, this is the secret. And they'd always try and get this response from the person. And so they're constantly trying to outdo what they did before so that they get more of a response. But obviously there's only so much, you, there's only so many surprise weekends and things you can throw. Mm -hmm. Then there's the hacker. And the hacker is someone who's reached a certain level from taking shortcuts, and that's it. I'm quite happy with this. And so they'd be, so this is the person that would be like sit on the sofa and don't want to do anything and whatever. And then suddenly their wife or partner would say to them, I'm not happy, I'm leaving. And they go, why? I'm perfectly, we, we were fine. And it's because they never took account of the other person. And then it's about being a master. A master is going beyond the shortcuts of things. But it's a short book, really, I'm not sure if I've got it here. I think I found it yet. Mastery of the Key to Success and Long-Term Fulfillment by George Leonard. That's it. I did get his name right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's a really interesting book. I'm going to try and find one locally because it doesn't seem to have a Kindle edition. So I'm going to try and find one. But thanks for that reference. I'd, I'd love to read stuff like that. It's quite an old book, but it's quite short. I think you'll like it. It's one, I've loved that frame that he had. Anyway, thank you for your time. I don't want to keep you too long, but it's been fascinating to understand and to know a little bit more and to connect. Thank uh, you very much for my side. Thank you. That's been wonderful for me to try and to share a little bit of what we do. Thank you very much for being interested in that. Thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a review so we can spread more flow and unify teams. If you're on LinkedIn, please connect with me, Rob McPhillips.